the Bible, the most unique book in all of human history. It claims to be divine in origin, and it delivers a message that, if true, affects every human being on the planet Earth, in this life, and in whatever awaits us when this life is over. The Bible is unique in its survival. Over the past 2,000 years, no other book has been subjected to the intense scrutiny that the Bible has endured. Generations of linguists, historians, and archaeologists have explored the details of the Bible's production and tested the accuracy of its transmission to us today. Critics and foes have come and gone. Problems have been raised and solved, and still the Bible stands. Totally alone in the degree of its historical accuracy and reliability. The Bible is also unique in foretelling future events. The Old Testament alone contains over 2,000 specific predictions about people, cities, nations, and empires. Predictions made hundreds of years before being perfectly fulfilled in history. The Bible is unique in its influence. It's been called the fountainhead of Western civilization and is by far the most quoted text in America's founding documents. Millions of men, women, and children from every station and walk of life have felt the liberating, redeeming power of this book of books, and their changed lives have changed the world and the course of history. The Bible Live with Sophie Dollar is your opportunity to hear this unique book, the entire Bible, every year. Now, here's the host of The Bible Live, Sophie Dollar. Thanking you for joining us Monday through Friday. We get a chance to listen to the book of books from beginning to end every year. We have just finished up a season in the Old Testament with the books of Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther. Now, though, we're going to spend a little season in the full light, the blinding light of the Messiah himself, Jesus the Christ. The Messiah has come. He has lived out his life. He has carried out his ministry successfully. He finished the work that was there for him to do to become the Lamb of God, the atonement Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And by faith and trust in him, then, men and women, boys and girls all over the planet Earth, those who hear and long for God, they desire to be right with God, to honor God and serve God and to be with God and be part of God's people, The good news is that by placing their faith and trust in Jesus the Messiah, they can have that confident, secure relationship with the creator of the universe. And that's the message of the entire Bible. Now we're going to jump into the New Testament. Jesus has come. He's lived his life. He's died, been buried, resurrected. And the church has exploded across the Roman Empire of the first century. And the Apostle Paul, this converted Jewish individual, became the great missionary of the first century. He is writing a letter now back to the church that he established, helped to establish there in Corinth. We're going to pick up tonight in chapter 5 of this first letter that we have from Paul to the church in Corinth. Right now, though, it's time for our Wisdom and Worship segment. We go to the book of Proverbs. We've already read the first half of Proverbs chapter 19. Here's the second half tonight on The Bible Life. Proverbs 19, 15 through 29. A lazy person sleeps soundly and goes hungry. Keep the commandments and keep your life. Despising them leads to death. If you help the poor, you are lending to the Lord, and He will repay you. Discipline your children while there is hope. If you don't, you will ruin their lives. Short-tempered people must pay their own penalty. 
If you rescue them once, you will have to do it again. Get all the advice and instruction you can, and be wise the rest of your life. You can make many plans, but the Lord's purpose will prevail. Loyalty makes a person attractive, and it is better to be poor than dishonest. Fear of the Lord gives life, security, and protection from harm. Some people are so lazy that they won't even lift a finger to feed themselves. If you punish a mocker, the simple-minded will learn a lesson. If you reprove the wise, they will be all the wiser. Children who mistreat their father or chase away their mother are a public disgrace and an embarrassment. If you stop listening to my instruction, my child, you have turned your back on knowledge. A corrupt witness makes a mockery of justice. The mouth of the wicked gulps down evil. Mockers will be punished, and the backs of fools will be beaten. End of reading, Proverbs 19, 15 through 29. Blessed is the man who walks in your favor, who loves all your words and hides them like treasure. This is the Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. In the darkest place of his desperate heart, they are alive. Our Wisdom and Worship segment comes each and every evening from the books of Psalms and the Proverbs. Really a treasure chest of truths about God, the attributes of God, the characteristics of God. If you serve a tiny little bitty weak little mamby-pamby God, you're going to have a weak little mamby-pamby spiritual experience. If you serve the great true and living God of the Scriptures, you serve a God who is eternal. You serve a God who is omniscient, all-knowing, omnipresent, everywhere present at all times, omnipotent, all-powerful, almighty. These attributes spoken of greatly in the Psalms because most of the Psalms are prayers of praise and worship to God. And of course, the Proverbs, these nuggets of wisdom and advice that come from a God-centered world view. I love to listen to them over and over again because they're so very practical, whether it's our finances, our family life, our relationships, our career choices, our health, our sexuality. All areas of life are spoken to in the Proverbs. So that's what we do with the Wisdom and Worship segment. Now, though, we go to 1 Corinthians. We're going to pick up in chapter 5. Paul has been talking to the church there about disorder, chaos, lack of organization, and things are happening that are kind of an embarrassment. Remember, now, Corinth is a city known for two major things that affect the church. There's a lot of religiosity, false gods, there's pagan worship, even temple prostitution. Women figure prominently in most of those religions, whereas they don't figure so prominently in Judaism or here in early Christianity. Now, women are there. They are leaders, pastors, deaconesses. But in their situation in Corinth, Paul warns them about the role of women in the churches because he doesn't want them to be confused with the chaos and the immorality in the pagan temples. The same thing can be said now for a lot of religious practices speaking in tongues, ecstatic utterance, getting oneself into an emotional state. is nothing terribly wrong, but it could be confused with these pagan worship systems. So Paul is going to offer advice about how Christians should relate to one another, avoiding sexual sin, instructions about Christian marriage. Paul gives them a lot of great advice tonight on The Bible Life. 1 Corinthians 5, 9 through 9, 18. 1 Corinthians 5. When I wrote to you before, I told you not to associate with people who indulge in sexual sin. But I wasn't talking about unbelievers who indulge in sexual sin, or who are greedy, or are swindlers, or idol worshippers. 
You would have to leave this world to avoid people like that. What I meant was that you are not to associate with anyone who claims to be a Christian, yet indulges in sexual sin, or is greedy, or worships idols, or is abusive, or a drunkard, or a swindler. Don't even eat with such people. It isn't my responsibility to judge outsiders, but it certainly is your job to judge those inside the church who are sinning in these ways. God will judge those on the outside, but as the scriptures say, you must remove the evil person from among you. 1 Corinthians 6 When you have something against another Christian, why do you file a lawsuit and ask a secular court to decide the matter, instead of taking it to other Christians to decide who is right? Don't you know that someday we Christians are going to judge the world? And since you are going to judge the world, can't you decide these little things among yourselves? Don't you realize that we Christians will judge angels? So you should surely be able to resolve ordinary disagreements here on earth. If you have legal disputes about such matters, why do you go to outside judges who are not respected by the church? I am saying this to shame you. Isn't there anyone in all the church who is wise enough to decide these arguments? But instead, one Christian sues another, right in front of unbelievers. To have such lawsuits at all is a real defeat for you. Why not just accept the injustice and leave it at that? Why not let yourselves be cheated? But instead, you yourselves are the ones who do wrong and cheat even your own Christian brothers and sisters. Don't you know that those who do wrong will have no share in the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin, who are idol worshippers, adulterers, male prostitutes, homosexuals, thieves, greedy people, drunkards, abusers, and swindlers, None of these will have a share in the kingdom of God. There was a time when some of you were just like that, but now your sins have been washed away, and you have been set apart for God. You have been made right with God because of what the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of our God have done for you. You may say, I am allowed to do anything, but I reply, not everything is good for you. And even though I am allowed to do anything, I must not become a slave to anything. You say, food is for the stomach, and the stomach is for food. This is true, though someday God will do away with both of them. But our bodies were not made for sexual immorality. They were made for the Lord, and the Lord cares about our bodies. And God will raise our bodies from the dead by His marvelous power, just as He raised our Lord from the dead. Don't you realize that your bodies are actually parts of Christ? Should a man take his body which belongs to Christ and join it to a prostitute? Never! And don't you know that if a man joins himself to a prostitute, he becomes one body with her? For the scriptures say, the two are united into one. But the person who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Run away from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Or don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. 1 Corinthians 7 Now about the questions you asked in your letter. Yes, it is good to live a celibate life, but because there is so much sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife, and each woman should have her own husband. The husband should not deprive his wife of sexual intimacy, which is her right as a married woman, nor should the wife deprive her husband. The wife gives authority over her body to her husband, and the husband also gives authority over his body to his wife. 
so do not deprive each other of sexual relations. The only exception to this rule would be the agreement of both husband and wife to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time, so they can give themselves more completely to prayer. Afterward, they should come together again so that Satan won't be able to tempt them because of their lack of self-control. This is only my suggestion. It's not meant to be an absolute rule. I wish everyone could get along without marrying, just as I do. But we are not all the same. God gives some the gift of marriage, and to others he gives the gift of singleness. Now I say to those who aren't married and to widows, it's better to stay unmarried, just as I am. But if they can't control themselves, they should go ahead and marry. It's better to marry than to burn with lust. Now for those who are married, I have a command that comes not from me, but from the Lord. A wife must not leave her husband. But if she does leave him, let her remain single, or else go back to him. And the husband must not leave his wife. Now I will speak to the rest of you, though I do not have a direct command from the Lord. If a Christian man has a wife who is an unbeliever, and she is willing to continue living with him, he must not leave her. And if a Christian woman has a husband who is an unbeliever, and he is willing to continue living with her, she must not leave him. For the Christian wife brings holiness to her marriage, and the Christian husband brings holiness to his marriage. Otherwise your children would not have a godly influence, but now they are set apart for him. But if the husband or wife who isn't a Christian insists on leaving, let them go. In such cases, the Christian husband or wife is not required to stay with them, for God wants his children to live in peace. You wives must remember that your husbands might be converted because of you. And you husbands must remember that your wives might be converted because of you. You must accept whatever situation the Lord has put you in, and continue on as you were when God first called you. This is my rule for all the churches. For instance, a man who was circumcised before he became a believer should not try to reverse it. And the man who was uncircumcised when he became a believer should not be circumcised now. For it makes no difference whether or not a man has been circumcised. The important thing is to keep God's commandments. You should continue on as you were when God calls you. Are you a slave? Don't let that worry you. But if you get a chance to be free, take it. And remember, if you were a slave when the Lord called you, the Lord has now set you free from the awful power of sin. And if you were free when the Lord called you, you are now a slave of Christ. God purchased you at a high price. Don't be enslaved by the world. So, dear brothers and sisters, whatever situation you were in when you became a believer, stay there in your new relationship with God. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Now about the young women who are not yet married. I do not have a command from the Lord for them, but the Lord in His kindness has given me wisdom that can be trusted, and I will share it with you. Because of the present crisis, I think it is best to remain just as you are. If you have a wife, do not end the marriage. If you do not have a wife, do not get married. But if you do get married, it is not a sin. And if a young woman gets married, it is not a sin. However, I am trying to spare you the extra problems that come with marriage. Now let me say this, dear brothers and sisters. The time that remains is very short, so husbands should not let marriage be their major concern. Happiness or sadness or wealth should not keep anyone from doing God's work. Those in frequent contact with the things of the world should make good use of them without becoming attached to them. For this world and all it contains will pass away. In everything you do, I want you to be free from the concerns of this life. 
An unmarried man can spend his time doing the Lord's work and thinking how to please Him. But a married man can't do that so well. He has to think about his earthly responsibilities and how to please his wife. His interests are divided. In the same way, a woman who is no longer married or has never been married can be more devoted to the Lord in body and in spirit. While the married woman must be concerned about her earthly responsibilities and how to please her husband. I am saying this for your benefit, not to place restrictions on you. I want you to do whatever will help you serve the Lord best, with as few distractions as possible. But if a man thinks he ought to marry his fiancée because he has trouble controlling his passions and time is passing, it is all right. It is not a sin. Let them marry. But if he has decided firmly not to marry and there is no urgency and he can control his passion, he does well not to marry. So the person who marries does well, and the person who doesn't marry does even better. A wife is married to her husband as long as he lives. If her husband dies, she is free to marry whomever she wishes. But this must be a marriage acceptable to the Lord. But in my opinion, it will be better for her if she doesn't marry again. And I think I am giving you counsel from God's Spirit when I say this. 1 Corinthians 8 Now let's talk about food that has been sacrificed to idols. You think that everyone should agree with your perfect knowledge. While knowledge may make us feel important, it is love that really builds up the church. Anyone who claims to know all the answers doesn't really know very much. But the person who loves God is the one God knows and cares for. So now, what about it? Should we eat meat that has been sacrificed to idols? Well, we all know that an idol is not really a god, and that there is only one god and no other. According to some people, there are many so-called gods and many lords, both in heaven and on earth. But we know that there is only one God, the Father, who created everything, and we exist for Him. And there is only one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom God made everything and through whom we have been given life. However, not all Christians realize this. Some are accustomed to thinking of idols as being real. So when they eat food that has been offered to idols, they think of it as the worship of real gods, and their weak consciences are violated. It's true that we can't win God's approval by what we eat. We don't miss out on anything if we don't eat it, and we don't gain anything if we do. But you must be careful with this freedom of yours. Do not cause a brother or sister with a weaker conscience to stumble. You see, this is what can happen. Weak Christians who think it is wrong to eat this food will see you eating in the temple of an idol. You know there's nothing wrong with it, but they will be encouraged to violate their conscience by eating food that has been dedicated to the idol. So because of your superior knowledge, a weak Christian for whom Christ died will be destroyed. And you are sinning against Christ when you sin against other Christians by encouraging them to do something they believe is wrong. If what I eat is going to make another Christian sin, I will never eat meat again as long as I live. For I don't want to make another Christian stumble. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. 1 Corinthians 9 Do I not have as much freedom as anyone else? Am I not an apostle? Haven't I seen Jesus our Lord with my own eyes? Isn't it because of my hard work that you are in the Lord? Even if others think I am not an apostle, I certainly am to you. For you are living proof that I am the Lord's apostle. This is my answer to those who question my authority as an apostle. Don't we have the right to live in your homes and share your meals? 
Don't we have the right to bring a Christian wife along with us, as the other disciples and the Lord's brothers and Peter do? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have to work to support ourselves? What soldier has to pay his own expenses? And have you ever heard of a farmer who harvests his crop and doesn't have the right to eat some of it? What shepherd takes care of a flock of sheep and isn't allowed to drink some of the milk? And this isn't merely human opinion. Doesn't God's law say the same thing? For the law of Moses says, Do not keep an ox from eating as it treads out the grain. Do you suppose God was thinking only about oxen when he said this? Wasn't he also speaking to us? Of course he was. Just as farm workers who plow fields and thresh the grain expect a share of the harvest, Christian workers should be paid by those they serve. We have planted good spiritual seed among you. Is it too much to ask in return for mere food and clothing? If you support others who preach to you, shouldn't we have an even greater right to be supported? Yet we have never used this right. We would rather put up with anything than put an obstacle in the way of the good news about Christ. Don't you know that those who work in the temple get their meals from the food brought to the temple as offerings? And those who serve at the altar get a share of the sacrificial offerings. In the same way, the Lord gave orders that those who preach the good news should be supported by those who benefit from it. Yet I have never used any of these rights. And I am not writing this to suggest that I would like to start now. In fact, I would rather die than lose my distinction of preaching without charge. For preaching the good news is not something I can boast about. I am compelled by God to do it. How terrible for me if I didn't do it. If I were doing this of my own free will, then I would deserve payment. But God has chosen me and given me this sacred trust, and I have no choice. What then is my pay? It is the satisfaction I get from preaching the good news without expense to anyone, never demanding my rights as a preacher. End of reading, 1 Corinthians 5, 9 through 9, 18. We are back. This was a real man giving guidance as best he can from his knowledge of the Scriptures. He's giving them these principles, and I think that's the important thing. Home in on the principles. You've got Corinth. This is a Greek culture, a pagan culture. They don't know anything about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob necessarily. They don't know anything about the Ten Commandments necessarily. They don't have all that background about the Messiah and so on. I'm sure they're learning. They're picking it up. But Paul is saying, now look, you're living in this town, Corinth, and you've got all of these terrible stresses and difficulties and temptations on your individual lives, on your family lives, and your marriages. So he's giving them principles of guidance. This is the principle here. When you go to Spain, when you go to Mongolia, when I go to India, I'm going to a different language, different culture, different foods. And so we try to find what are the principles of the Scripture that would apply and how they would apply in another culture. It's a complicated thing, but it's very beautiful to see when you go to another land and you see how they function, how they relate, and it will be culture-sensitive. I like that about biblical Christianity. There is a freedom within it that recognizes different people groups, principles of faithfulness, of loyalty, of purity, being faithful in marriage to your spouse. For Paul and for biblical Christianity, the end of the age started at the time Jesus ascended. So all of this time has been the end. This is the last era, the last time, the time of harvest. 
Paul often talked about the persecution and so on that was coming. So that could have been what he had in mind. I'm not quite sure. Let me run over and catch Joe real quick. Let's go, Joe. We've got a few seconds here. One minute to hear your comment okay, on the book we'll of Proverbs. It, we'll make it quick. Specifically, we said if a son ceases to hear his instructions, or he who mistreats his father or drives his away his mother is a worthless and disgraceful son. There's many exhortations in the Proverbs for a son to treat his sons correctly and to listen to their admonitions and not to stray away. And when one's child becomes rebellious and, you know, renegade, so to speak. There's nothing more heartbreaking, is there? Yeah, it it becomes very disconcerting. And I find myself just um, resorting to prayer and hoping that my prodigal son will indeed come back. Joe, I'll keep the faith with you, brother. All of us parents hear you tonight. My prayer is right along with you for that child that's out there making a testimony for himself. We're going to believe he's going to come back. As we close tonight, I do want to remind you of one thing about Scripture in general. We tend to take a superstitious attitude about the Bible. We stick our finger down and there's a verse and it says, Yet God was not pleased with most of them. And so we make some big meaning out of that. That's not an appropriate approach to the Scriptures. This is a letter that Paul wrote to the believers in Corinth. He didn't know he was writing the New Testament. He didn't know he was going to write a book, the Word of God. He was writing a letter, led and guided by the Holy Spirit, to guide and assist and help these men and women in Corinth. We take it as as face value. That's what it was. We listen to it. We hear it. We know that the Holy Spirit is superintending it, but he's writing to a specific people, to Corinth. And so some of the things that we read are going to have to do with them specifically and are not to be generalized and necessarily to the whole church. The principle, yes, the but not the specific. Dollar, Sophie reads from the New Living Translation by Kindle House Publishers. The Bible Live is dedicated to helping promote spiritual revival across America, and your prayers and financial support are needed. Please mail your tax-deductible gift to the Bible Live Post Office Box 18888. That's the Bible Live P.O. Box 18888, San Antonio, Texas 78218. You may also make credit card donations at the ministry website, thebiblelive.com. Now don't forget, join us each weekday for the Bible Live with Soapy Dollars. Start today, and in one year's time, we will read and respond together to the entire Bible. Let the most important word you hear each day be God's word.